Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. This morning, we are in uh, week two of a new series that we started last week called Blessed. Uh, called Blessed. Uh, you can say it however you want. Blessed, blessed, I'll give you permission. Um, but it's over the Beatitudes in Scripture, which is, if you are not familiar with the Bible at all, it's a weird word, and I get it. Uh, the Beatitudes are the section in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is starting his ministry, And he sort of sets the tone on how he will be versus how everyone thinks he's going to be. He's setting the tone on who he is and who he is not. And last week we started off uh, this series. And if you missed it, you can always find it online or on the Glory podcast, those podcast lovers. Um, And I'm more of a visual guy, so I have a hard time. But if it's for you, it's for you. All right, you can find it. Um, But this morning we are in week two. And what I love about this is these are eight phrases, these beatitudes, the blessed are those, uh, and, and these are eight phrases that you and I on our own could never have come up with. In fact, if I got some pieces of paper with pins and I had this like game and I went out to the plaza and asked everyone to come up with who they think the blessed people are, to find someone who's blessed, and I asked them to put out eight uh, attributes they would not scratch the surface of these things. In fact, when Jesus sat down, if you remember, the disciples surrounded him and then this ongoing crowd. And he started naming off things that didn't make sense. That the blessed ones are the weird ones sometimes. The poor ones we talked about last week. And this week, I will tell you, I'm going to give you permission to feel uncomfortable. Because Jesus says, the blessed ones are the vulnerable ones. The blessed ones this week, he says, are the ones who are seemingly weak. The blessed ones are the ones who are exposed. And uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing. But I will tell you, uh, as we dive into it, uh, we struggle with vulnerability and exposure. But those are the people who are blessed. So this morning, I would love for you to open up to uh, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to dive right in. It is so fitting with the song, Peace Be Still. And you'll see why in just a second. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll find ourselves. Verse 4. The second blessed are the is this. It said, blessed are those who mourn, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those, maybe your translation says, blessed are those who weep, who weep, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, I will tell you, we have a beautiful tendency, us, you know, Christians in the room, uh, to designate this verse only to the times in our life when we are in deep, 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 deep sadness, Or when someone in our life has lost someone they love and we send them this verse, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Can I tell you, when we do that, we sort of neglect the constant beauty of this. In fact, uh, if you're like me, I hate crying. I do. Uh, My mom passed away when I was a senior in high school and I had to just learn how to cry. One time I was picking out a movie and uh, it was a movie that she was supposed to watch with me and uh, I found it and I just cried in the middle of the the movie store. You remember we used to have those? Um, I cried in the middle of it and I just didn't know what to do. Uh, Everyone was just... Leave the kid alone. Um, I just, we hate feeling exposed, out of control, but those are the ones who are blessed. But often when we uh, discount mourning to only those times, those extremes, we also discount the comfort that you need to get through the day. 
the comfort, the comfort that you need. Now, listen, I, I, I would say that you, your soul is craving comfort and you don't even realize it. Do you ever feel those days where you're just like, I don't know how to keep going or I'm just tired, I'm worn out. It's because your soul craves comfort and you don't know how to word it. And often we never weep to the point that we need to weep so the comfort isn't present. And I need comfort. My marriage needs comfort. My kids need to see comfort flow through me. My, uh, my life needs comfort. And I think it's in our limited description on weeping. I mean, if you're like me, uh, I like to constitute what gives me the right to cry. And if, it, if it's not good enough, then I don't want to cry about it. Um, and anyone else there, like if it's not good enough, if it's not heavy, then I feel stupid crying. And so I'll just, you know, swallow the tears and get on. And, and that's how we do. But this morning, mourning is so much deeper and more beautiful than we think. So I have a little definition for you. If you're taking notes, I would love for you to uh, take notes throughout this time because mourning is a little different. Mourning is our heart's created response. Sorry. Our heart's natural response to mourning uh, now that we're fallen is um, to hide it. Or uh, our heart's natural response, suffering leads up to more suffering. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Um, our heart's natural response to mourning is more sin, but our heart's created response, sorry about that. I was missing the slide and I was like, where is it? Uh, our heart's created response is to cry when sin happens, to see oppression in our city and break, to see the sin and how it's affected our life and to mourn it, to, to see what it looks like when, when sex trafficking is all over everywhere and to actually feel it because when we do what we were designed to do, mourning leads to, uh, to God. It, mean, it leads to this, I need you to intercede. It leads to this, I need you to bring what I cannot. Mourning is our heart's created response to be like God who sees pain and breaks for it, to see injustice and fight for it, and mourning to see corruption, to see deceit, oppression, and to respond. It's our created response, and the, the product is, is comfort. And we'll get to this word comfort, but can I just tell you that the enemy wants nothing for you, anything about comfort. The enemy wants nothing close to comfort for you and I. Because he knows comfort begets comfort. And the enemy knows that when you are comforted, you are unstoppable. Scripture literally says we know how to comfort because we've been comforted. If the enemy can keep us from mourning, from really noticing our sin, then he will keep us from being comforted and then comforting. Did you know comforting, it is injustice breaking. Comforting, the comfort people, those who are comforted with divine healing and hope, they're the ones who end broken deeds. In a city, a reconciliation can be made true, made possible because comfort, and the enemy hates that. He doesn't want your, your marriage to feel comfort. Because if you feel comfort, then you'll start realizing the godly attributes that are part of your spouse. And right now he wants bitterness. He wants you to see the other attributes. And so if he can get you from being real and honest and noticing sin, then he can neglect comfort in your life and then therefore it just hurts more. And so he's pretty good at it because there's two other ways that we like to handle mourning. Uh, there's two other natural responses to mourning this morning. And uh, you're going to realize that I'm a pretty good pastor because I've made these things um, rhyme. Because that's what makes a good pastor, right? I made these two things rhyme. 
So when, when the enemy does not want us to godly sorrow, when he doesn't want us to go to godly sorrow, he's going to distract us into two other options. And you'll see these at display in your life, and they're going to rhyme. It's to help you uh, re- memorize them and so that you can walk away and say, he is good pastor right there. He's a good one. And so right here, our heart's uh, go-to response to mourning is that we either sow our tears into ourselves. We either sow our tears into ourselves, where scripture says, uh, sow those who sow in faith, reap, in, we reap with shouts of joy. These are the people who sow into yourself. Have you ever met someone who retreats deeper into themselves when they're in a hardship, a trial, when things are happening? And so we either sow into ourselves or we throw our tears onto the shelf. You like that? We either sow our tears into ourselves or we throw our tears onto the shelf. And we all know those people. Um, I am one all the time. Deny that it is there. It's not a big deal. Deny your problem of sin. And the go-to response the enemy loves for us to sow our tears into ourself or to throw them onto the shelf. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, Glory Family, we were still online, and we talked about the problem of escapism. Do you remember that? The issue of escapism and how, uh, how rampant it is in our homes and how it's taught to us by our families, how they uh, made false refuges, and then we are quick to making a false refuge as well. And so escapism, we looked at King David. And though David does a really good job in the Psalms, mourning in faith, he also has some really terrible times of sowing his pain into himself. And there's this time, if you're taking notes, write 2 Samuel 18. I'm not going to be able to read the whole uh, story with you, but there, this is a time when David gets word of a major loss. And this man, he knows pain. He knows loss very, very well. He's an adult by now uh, and has adult kids. Yet something happens that spirals him downward. And instead of where we see him in the Psalms, take his pain to the Lord, he takes it elsewhere. And so we're going to open up and see in uh, 2 Samuel 18, David gets word that Absalom, his, de- his son, has died in battle. David's mighty men go out and Absalom is with them. And in this battle, Absalom, his son, dies. David hears about it. He retreats into his palace. He, he puts on the sackcloth. He wails. He covers his face. And in there, he stays for a long time. And though, let me say before we get into this, when someone dies, you're supposed to mourn. Like, hear me when I say that. You are supposed to authentically show it. When when loss happens, when sin and struggles happen, you are to authentically show it. But what happens is David shows us a sowing into self because David retreats into David. And we know that this is possible. And we know that this happens because when we retreat into ourself, it's always at the expense of those closest to us. When we retreat into ourself, those around us get hurt. Those around us because we, we, we get ball, walled up. I mean, have you ever experienced pain to the degree where you just feel like, uh, and you notice it in yourself, but you don't know how to end it. Uh, you're just too far in the sorrow that you're just retreating deeper and deeper. I have a friend who, who wrote a book on fear and talked about the spiraling aspect of fear, that it just keeps going and keeps going. And, and in that mode, we just retreat deeper to ourself, and it's at the expense of those closest to us. Now listen, when David is doing this, his, his mind is very singular in focus. 
The beautiful thing about God's goodness is that when pain comes, when sin takes us, when, uh, when we struggle with suffering, God somehow works things for his glory and our good. And what David was doing was being very singular in his focus and overlooking the victory of the Lord. And when I say that, there's a literal victory happening. Chapter 18 of, Samuel, of 2 Samuel, his mighty men won victorious, victoriously. Like literally that victory, that battle that was raging on for a while ended and his men were victorious. Yes, his son died, but his men were victorious. Scripture says in chapter 18 that they came home to the city of David. They came home. And mind me, when, uh, when a victorious a uh, parade comes in when the soldiers come into their city. What typically would happen at a mass victory like this is a parade would be started by the king and he would head it up and all honor would be shown to the, the soldiers. There would be a big celebration in the city because victory was theirs. God gave them victory. But we see in chapter 18 that the men come into the city and it literally says that they stole into the city. That's a really weird word. I get it. They, they stole into the city, but that means that they drug themselves in with lowered heads, shrugged shoulders, shame on their face. They stole into the city. You see, when, when you sow into yourself, those who need your love and your recognition, they overlook it. Uh, you are quick to over, overlook it. And so Joab, the king's commander, says, uh, he went into the house of the king and said, today you have humiliated all your men. Those who just saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and you're hating those who love you. You've made it clear today into the commanders that their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. He says, have you ever struggled and abided uh, in your pain instead of the Lord? Have you ever abided, re remained in your pain? It's always at the expense. It's the, the parent who's struggling and neglecting the needs of the, the, the kids. Some of you are the, are the showcases of that. You, you saw your mom or your dad when you were a child in pain and they neglected you. It's because when we sow our tears into ourselves, walls go up and comfort is not given. David overlooks the victory that God is bringing, but there is uh, more, right? Because that's just one. We either sow into ourselves, but we can be quick as well to throw it on the shelf. Throw it on the shelf. Anyone like, like me in that way, throw it onto the shelf. I uh, don't like to admit sometimes that I'm struggling because it's not that, I'm, that I don't want to uh, be honest about it. It's because there's so many other people struggling around me and it's just not worth my time to be the, the weak one. And we are quick to throwing our pain, our sin, our struggles onto the shelf at the, uh, in our mind at the, to cater to the needs of others. And I do it all the time. I, I don't want to feel it's heaviness. It's not worth it. Some of you maybe, you, you think it was just a one-time sin. It doesn't need to be dealt with. Like, I just put it over there. It was just a one-time sin. It doesn't mean, it's not that big. It's not hurting anyone else. And so when mourning doesn't happen, neither does the comfort needed to move us on. And so often I've thrown things onto the shelf and I will tell you it is not worth it. We become our biggest deceivers. 
I've heard of the whack-a-mole metaphor here. Have you ever played whack-a-mole? Uh, anyone? Uh, I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid, and the whack-a-mole, you know, the mole comes out of the hole, you hit it, and then they just keep coming, and you just pop it, pop it. What ends up happening for those of us who like to sow our, our, our sin, sow our tears onto the, to the shelf and we like to throw it away is you push it down here, and it always comes up over here. And so then you got to push it down here, and it will inevitably come up in your marriage. And it wasn't connected in your marriage, but it's going to come up now over here in your marriage. And you push it down here, and now it's coming up in your loss of appetite. And now you push it down here, and now it's going to come up in your lack of sleep. And you're going to push it down here, and you keep denying the fact that it is there because you keep playing whack-a-mole. And I will tell you, that is overwhelming, and the enemy the whole time knows that you are so close to being defeated. So close to just throwing in the towel in this, to compromising more. How often have we been there that we compromise more? But to be raw, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to open up when everything about you says close up. To hand it over instead of handle the whack-a-mole game yourself. To see God's presence in it versus denying that he's going to bring good. To do that, goodness, comfort comes. Comfort. Now, this is my favorite part of of prepping this, the word comfort. Uh, I love to just look at this, especially when it's a really small verse we're dealing with. Um, I I love to look at the wording of it, and this is the most excited part, in my opinion, to this message, this word comfort. I actually knew the Greek word for this word comfort, but never heard it defined as comfort. I did a study when I was in, in college over the word to be urged. I really loved it when, when Paul would urge people. I urge you. And I'm like, okay, I like this word, urge. And so I did a whole study, and I never realized that the word comfort is also translated as to be invited, to invite you, or to urge you, or to encourage you. It's a very small time when it's called comfort. But every other time, it's to be invited into something. In other words, comfort, what you need is less about this, ah, let's sit here. That is comfort. It starts there. Comfort will always invite you out. It'll urge you onward. It'll move you to somewhere else. And that's the beauty of comfort that we miss. There is this moving aspect to comfort, an invitation, an urging onward. The Old Testament use of comfort is found in Isaiah 61. Uh, If you want to write that one down, spend some time in there. It it talks about how, how God will comfort his people. He will bring comfort to his people. And he says, I will give them beauty for ashes. I will give them an oil of gladness instead of mourning. Are you familiar with that? You're, uh, I, will, I will give them a mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. And it's beautiful because all of those are an invitation into something else. I will tell you what we miss often is the pain that is at work in our marriages, the pain that's at work in the back recesses of our mind, our hearts, those struggles that we are covering up because we don't think that they are worth it. All the enemy is doing is keeping us there while the enemy knows if they move beyond, they're going to be invited into something greater because he is inviting us from from ashes into beauty. The comfort invites people to leave behind their ashes. And maybe that's too feminine for you. Maybe you're the manly man in the room. What about this? Comfort invites you to take on a mantle of honor, a praise, instead of a faint spirit. Some of you are timid and have been timid for years in your faith. 
You struggle to realize who you are, what your gifts are, uh, what, what, what the next steps are. And in your timidity, you compromise. And it's because at the end of the day, we don't become raw mourners, weepers, people who are real and vulnerable. And so there's no invitation into something greater. There's no invitation into something greater. And this is what I need, goodness. Your marriage needs those hard conversations that will bring it out of the ashes into the beauty. Your, your shame from your past needs some brokenness, some opening up and confession that will lead you out of the ashes into beauty. Your, your, your fears and doubts, uh, the vulnerability of confessing them will already lead you into a mantle of praise. And we are so slow. But I wrote this down, uh, and I think that this is the, the clear. If, this, if nothing else has made sense, I hope that this will. But the mourning heart receives comfort because it is malleable. At the end of the day, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. It's because the mourning heart receives, uh, it's able to be comforted because it's malleable, it's soft. It is like clay in the potter's hands. I will tell you the biggest red flag is when you stop feeling, when you're hardened. When, when, when you're in a place where brokenness is or when you see sin or when things are funny to you, that shouldn't be. I think those are huge red flags to say, okay, I'm struggling with some, some mourning. I'm not being soft. And I love this because I've had times where sin has hardened my heart. Has it you? I remember early on in my marriage, there were some places where sin had hardened my heart and I needed softness. And we needed comfort, but I didn't realize that's what I worded it as. And like, we don't want to say, guys, I want comfort. Um, we don't want to say that, but what we need is that. Yet there's such hardness because we will not mourn. Not just crying. We will not be exposed. We won't be softened to be moved. Have you ever met the person who went hard at the loss of their loved one, who went hard. Years of grief neglected or dove into, and a hardened heart was the answer. You see, where worldly suffering hardens our heart to stay put, godly sorrow makes us movable. And there is some movement that needs to happen in your life. There is some movement, and that happens through comfort. There's movement that needs to happen on your street because you realize that there is more going on there is movement that needs to happen in our city, and that's because comfort begets comfort. And things get changed when we are comforted and when we show it. And I love it because the last way that this word comfort is defined, it's called uh, to be encouraged. And every time Paul uses this word, it's sometimes I urge you when he's talking to the people. The other time is when he says, uh, I encourage, or I was encouraged. And every time it is in the context of people, the context of people, I was encouraged to be with you. Or he writes, I'm sending you Timothy so that you can be encouraged by him. Or uh, live together in humility so that you can be encouraged, comforted. Because you and I are quick to thinking, and the enemy would do this. Okay, uh, I'm just going to pretend I'm out in the audience. Okay, Greg, you realize you throw it onto the shelf. So maybe you need to confess some. And your go-to takeaway is that confession lies only in your room 
in your prayers. And confession, if we are to say it in a beautiful way, confession is made possible and made clear with God's people. Sometimes we like to segment divorce Christ from his church. You cannot fully confess your sins or be open and vulnerable to God in your bedroom, yet withhold it from your spouse or God's people. And sometimes the lack of comfort is because we aren't truly mourning because we want to reserve and tuck it away into closed doors. This debunks the myth that you think you can just mourn and cry alone yet put on a fake face in the presence of God's people. God's fullness, Paul says, is in his church, his people. And so I know without a doubt, those of you shelfers, you can keep denying it and then open it up in your prayer life, but it's not going to change unless you be honest about it in God's people, with God's people. Same thing about sowing the self. So as we end uh, this morning, as we end, I am going to tell you just a quick little story. You see, I, I was a student pastor for seven years, and this is the funniest thing. It's also really sad, but it's the funniest thing about being a student, student pastor. You could see things, and no one knew that you could see them. Uh, and, and so, especially when it comes to suffering, especially. So we can call them student A. Student A would have a sin. Student A would experience a hardship. Student A's parents just got divorced, or student A just uh, lost something very valuable to them. Student A is going through brokenness or burdens, and student A knows that they need it over. In fact, maybe student A came to this service where they heard uh, about uh, confessing it and praying, and, and, and that that's the avenue to get comfort, and so that student A knows, okay, this is what I need to do. And so student A goes to their room and breaks down and cries. And soon they confesses that sin and confesses it and confesses it. But guess what? Soon they realizes that nothing is changing. So they get hardened more. As a youth pastor, this was the hardest thing because you could visibly see a wall form between student A and everyone around them. Visibly see it. You could visibly see their inability to truly mourn with God's people was literally their inability to mourn with God. And though they thought they kept praying and being honest and vulnerable, there was a literal wall forming. And so student A was awkward to their parents. Student A put up walls against the pastor. I always knew when someone was struggling and wasn't gonna be open because they were weird around me. I'm like, I'm here. Student A would be awkward to their, the people of the same gender. They wouldn't know how to, to be with friends and especially to the opposite sex. I will tell you some of you your heart feels like there are walls between you and others. And the hardest thing is adults think that you are, we are better than that. That that's just a problem the high school students go through. But literally as you withhold, as you cover up, walls are formed and comfort is never experienced. You notice that everyone else seems to see this invitation and you don't have it. You see that other people are urged to move on and you feel like you're stuck. So this morning, I just wanna invite you to uh, mourn. And it doesn't have to be crying, that's, I get it. But to be open, God, where do I need to be soft so that you can move me somewhere else? God, where are you calling me to be soft so that I can be invited, comforted, encouraged, 
Maybe it needs to be tonight when the kids are put down and you open up. Maybe instead of vegging out on, on Netflix, you talk to your roommate. Will you pray, God, I just, I pray that we can be people who are soft. Forgive me for every time I put up a wall because I thought that everyone else needed me to be that one who was strong. And yet at the expense of all those around me, I was uh, defeated, I was bitter because I felt my needs weren't being met, but really it's because I wasn't open and vulnerable and therefore missed out on the comfort. So God, I pray that we can be people who are raw, open, vulnerable, that there's a conversation that needs to happen today that maybe has been, uh, we have withheld only to the confines of a journal or only to the confines of our thoughts. But God, it needs to be on our lips because you say carry one another's burdens and we can't carry that which we don't know and so nothing gets carried and no one gets comforted. But God, blessed are those who mourn. So soften my heart to do so. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.